Welcome to Writers Forum, a weekly presentation of WRBH. I'm Sherry Alexander, and we want to welcome our guests today, co-authors of The Architecture of Cybersecurity. And we have with us James Farwell and Jeff Elkins. Welcome to Writers Forum, guys. Thanks very much, Sherry. Yeah, it's great to be here. Now, tell us a little about your background. We'll start with you, Jim. Um, you're obviously you're a lawyer because you're with this firm, but what else do you do? I advise the Pentagon on uh, national security in matters of cyber and in strategic communication. I am uh, uh, have worked since uh, 9/11 in in doing that. I, I as you know, publish uh, very often. This is my fifth book uh, that deals uh, primarily with national security. Although one I did last year on uh, uh, urban design. Uh, uh, is also out there. And my sixth book, which is now at a publisher, is also about national security. Boy. I've done cyber since 2005 when the Pentagon asked me to develop an expertise in it. And it's uh, really a fascinating field. Jeff? Yeah, I, um, I'm an attorney um, that works in the area of cybersecurity, information, privacy law. Um, but I also uh, work in real estate development um, and tax credit financing for uh, historic buildings. Um, I, no I noted a little on your biography, magna cum laude graduate. That always impresses me. <laughs> and you now have joined Jim. Uh, you passed a certification test recently. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Uh, Jim and I are both um, certified information privacy professionals uh, by the International Association of uh, privacy professionals. Uh, it's, uh, the acronym is CIPPUS, and it's just a designation um, showing our commitment to um, the area of privacy. And of course, when it comes to privacy, um, cybersecurity is vitally important, and that's why we felt compelled to uh, write this book. Now, your book is mainly directed at the people who run companies and their lawyers. But I went to your launch, and there's so many um, aspects of this that since cybersecurity is such a big issue now, so most of the questions I'm going to ask deal more with what the average person, an employee, um, would need to know. We'll start off with the fact that I read somewhere that half the companies in this country last year had some kind of hacking going on. With their um, with their records, that's alarming. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's that number is getting larger. It seems um, every year, um, and it, this cybersecurity and hacking isn't just some kind of abstract threat. Uh, it's getting to the point now, eventually, uh, where most businesses will be hacked at some point in the future. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when that does happen, um, are these companies going to have appropriate uh, protections and security in place to mitigate whatever damage is done? Um, and are they able to going to be able to sufficiently protect um, the personal information of their customers um, and their employees? I think, Jim, you gave us an example. What, excuse me, what happened with Sony? A couple of years ago. Yes, and Sony actually represents a new and frightening trend in what is going on, and that is the use of coercive tactics in order to gain leverage over a potential target. In the case of Sony, 
You just read this week there was a potential hack of Game of Thrones uh, that could be very damaging to uh, HBO, which has produced the uh, the program. Um, and it is something that has alarmed everybody because not only is it something that has political implications, but it's something that has financial implications for a company. The average cost of a hack can run into the millions of dollars. And that doesn't count what happens if the regulators decide that you did not take adequate precautions. And part of the problem here is that there is no way to eliminate this threat, even at the Pentagon, even at the National Security Agency. So we just have to learn how to mitigate it. Let me ask you, Jeff, um, there's some controversy. Should the government or should industry take the lead in mitigating the kind of damages that we're starting to see? Well, that's a that's a very interesting question because um, depending on the country you live in, you'll find uh, that privacy law is governed very differently. Um, for example, in Europe, uh, Europe has a comprehensive uh, model of law where there's uh, one overarching law, one overarching um, privacy agency that oversees the law um, and enforces it. Whereas um, here in the U.S., we have a more sectoral approach. Our laws are more focused on specific industries um, and agencies that uh, have oversight over those industries. Um, and some industries, there's even self-regulation and self-enforcement, such as in the credit card industry. Uh, so uh, here in the States, um, there are different laws depending on um, different areas of, of uh, industry. Um, now, that can get a little bit confusing because there's different standards across the board. Um, and that can also there's, – there's downsides to that in that um, it might be hard for uh, laws to catch up to the fast – paced evolution of, of technology in this day and age. What, what about, um, Jim, what about educating um, employees? What, what is your advice that you all give to um, executives and so on to, to kind of cut down on some of these incidents? Companies that want to protect themselves need to institute very clear guidelines and procedures that, that employees will follow, number one. Number two, they need to train employees to be aware of the types of threats. The most common kind of threat that faces most employees is what we call phishing. Uh, you may, uh, Jenny, have uh, seen one of these things where you get an email and it looks like it comes from Gmail or it comes from uh, American Express. And sure. they say, gee, Jenny, if only you'd update your account, we'd be able to make sure that you're not obsolete. And everybody sort of leaps for these things. And the most famous example uh, recently happened during Hillary Clinton's campaign when John Podesta, who was the senior advisor to Mrs. Clinton, received an email that looked absolutely legitimate from, from Gmail saying, oh, your, your password's been compromised, and in order to be able to operate securely, you have to change your password. Now, what's interesting is that Podesta, who's a smart guy, uh, played heads up football. He immediately contacted the people who were the experts in IT in the campaign and said, hey, what about it? And they, too, were, were fooled. Wow. Uh, even so, their lead IT expert uh, sent uh, uh, a uh, link to John Podest and said, here, click on this and change your password. And what happened was 
that even with all of that, uh, Podesta accidentally hit the wrong password, the one that had um, the fish, and that's how the Democratic National Committee got hacked. Just a simple wrong button can have <clears throat> tremendous um, consequences, obviously. I was reading something in your book that um, even after, I had no idea, even after an employee leaves a company, you had a statistic 59% of employees steal some of the company data that they when they leave the company? Uh, yeah, and you have to, people have to be aware that when we talk about cybersecurity, uh, we're often talking about a larger realm of security. Uh, when we say the words breach, that could mean anything from um, the breach of uh, a computer network or just a breach because uh, a disgruntled employee um, decided to use their login information to cause some damage to you. Um, uh, employee security and privacy and policies surrounding information within um, your business environment can can have a huge effect on on whether you're, you'll suffer any kind of breach or loss of customer or in employee data that could cause you harm in the long run. Yeah, and you, you all estimate cyber attacks cost as much as $500 billion a year. I think the latest year you, you had statistics for was 2013. Um, cause business interruption. Um, what are some of the other problems that they cause to these companies? Well, there's all kinds of different things. One of them is an irreparable loss to your uh, reputation. Let's take Target, which got hit. Uh, uh, millions of people had their credit cards compromised. So now you're deciding whether you're going to go shop at Target or someplace else. It affected uh, me, and I, I, won't give, I won't give them my credit card anymore. I just pay cash at Target, which, what is that, closing the door after the horses escaped or whatever? But, yeah, but the point is that the damage to your business reputation could be irreparable. It is. Uh, and uh, so that's number one. I mean, number two... Uh, you have enormous financial losses that you can suffer. You can lose proprietary data that you may have invested millions of dollars in protecting. This, for example, on a broader scale, is what our defense industry is worried about, the Chinese hacking uh, and stealing secrets, say, of the design of our F-35, which has happened. Uh, it's not accidental that when China unveils a brand-new fighter jet, it looks suspiciously like our fighter jets. There's nothing that inherently requires them not. to do it, right? <laughs> so it's uh, there's one more point that I think that people should realize, and let's put this into a broader perspective. Uh, all of us in this country grow up, and we certainly have different points of view in that. Diversity is a strength, but there is more or less a common culture in the West in which we are all rooted. What people don't realize is that together, uh, this Western ethic, uh, which would probably include allies like Japan or Taiwan or Korea, comprises about 13% of the population. The other 87% don't share our values. They look at places like the United States and our companies as a, a big bowl of cherries for them to plunder. And they have absolutely no scruples whatsoever uh, about trying to do that. A lot of the hacking takes place from teenagers and younger people in Central Europe, and there is an ecosystem that is developed in which a teenager or a young person might be working for Google one day, 
for the business, the Russian mafia the next day and, 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 and possibly the Russian government the next day. It's a very, very weird and uh, challenging Scary. environment. Jeff, let me ask you this. Um, <clears throat> now that our credit cards, this is on a consumer basis, now that our credit cards have chips in them, do you think that will um, uh, you know, mitigate the problem somewhat of problems like identity theft? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I do. Um, the chips are interesting because uh, they've gotten some backlash um, because people have to put the chips into the machine um, and have to wait for a few moments to get the chip out. Boy, are we spoiled. I, I, I Exactly, I know. Um, they have to wait for the machine to do its work. Um, and so some people really don't like that. They wish they could go back to just sliding. What they don't realize is the machine's actually taking the same amount of time to process your information uh, when you slide the card as it is when you put the chip into the machine. Um, you just never realized it because you didn't have to pay attention to the card after you slid it. But um, using the, the chips is actually... Uh, Cause it allows for much more protection of your information um, in the long run than sliding it. Um, and, you know, there are all sorts of very, very smart people working on these kinds of solutions to make sure um, your information is protected. Um, there's actually, uh, we, I had spoken earlier about um, self-regulation in some interest in industries, and I mentioned um, credit cards. Um, credit cards are companies um are governed by what's called the PCI DSS standards. And they're all standards that are there in place that payment card processors um, and companies um, need to, they need to have certain protections in place to make sure your information uh, isn't stolen in cases like the target hack or, um, you know, uh, credit card readers. We also heard about... Um a great deal, and we don't want to spend too much time on it, Jim, but um, we have to at least mention the possibility of another country um, hacking in to somehow uh, influence our elections. Can we <laughs> be apolitical and just mention that? Well, I think that we can, yeah, I think what you raise is a very important point in working with the Pentagon. That's something that I deal with. Um, where you see this uh, most prevalent is not in the United States, despite the media uh, attention of Russian activity, but in Europe. And in Europe, the Russian strategy has been to sow uh, a sense of confusion uh, to try and build a lack of trust in the established institutions. Uh, and it is, it's, it's really a problem. It's not just about hacking in that case. It's about the distribution of false information. In the most famous case, uh, recently, uh, there was a an alleged migrant named Lisa, who reportedly was attacked by a Muslim migrant. Uh, that was a false story. That was started by a Russian internet site. It was then. It's very interesting to see how this works. So, small Russian site uh, run by Russian intelligence uh, creates the story. It's then picked up by Russian television, also an arm of the Russian government, Global Sputnik News, which is the Russian government's version of Reuters, except that it's an arm of Russian intelligence, <clears throat> and one of the other Russian sites, and they pick it up and they say, here's a story that's in the news, and this is just terrible. The Russian foreign minister, uh, Lavrov, 
picks it up and says, you know, this is something of great concern, and I think everybody ought to be paying attention. And then what happens is it's picked up by the mainstream German media. And this is an example of, 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 of what can happen. And people are concerned in elections in two different ways. One is the undue influence through false news uh, that can go out. In the case of Macron, who was just elected president of France, there was a rumor started again by a Russian site that he was gay, picked up by 17,000 other news outlets. And now Macron, who's a very adept politician, uh, immediately called a press conference and laughed at it and made fun of it and discredited the charge. But not every politician is as adept. We can, we can talk all day about my favorite topic. I'm a journalist and I could spend literally days talking about fake news and um, the influence of the news. What I'd like to know, um, maybe Jeff could comment on this. What could what could the average person do to combat the fact that this is going on? And as you all constantly make the point, we're not going to eliminate cyber interference, but you can mitigate it. What can the average person at home do when facing? How do we know what's a fake news story, or um, what can we do personally to to mitigate this damage? Well, of course, uh, when it comes to um fake news and, and media that's spread, um, I think the best thing you can do is to just be cautious about uh, where you get your news from. And if you read something that sounds ridiculous on its face, um, despite whatever your political persuasion is, I would implore you to investigate that further, see if other sites have picked it up, uh, see if there's any credibility to that. But when it comes to your privacy and your personal information and what you can do to protect that, um, I would implore anybody to look at the kind of media and content that they consume um, and look at what they're putting out there. Um, when you log into Facebook, have you really paid attention to what your privacy settings are um, and the information that you're allowing to be publicly available? Uh, when you download the newest app, um, do you really know what kind of information you're giving them? Um, now, apps um, and, and other software um, usually have very extensive terms of uses. Um, and it's, it's a, like a wall of text. It's, it's very intimidating, I know. But usually in there, there will be... Um, there will be privacy policies that you can look at to see exactly how the the software company and the app is um, collecting, storing, uh, using, and disclosing your information to possible third parties, whether they're selling it for marketing purposes um, or other reasons. And it's really important for you to know what information you're giving to whom and um, what's how it's being disseminated uh so i i would i would implore most people to be be vigilant about um you know that next app that they decide to install um on their iphone um and, and if you have some options about who gets the information or so on um be conservative don't don't let them use the information you know say no to whatever you can say no to yeah i would i would say being conservative um depending on on how you feel um, about about your information getting out there. Um, most companies um, 
offer an opt out option when collecting your information. So it means that you have to make a concerted effort to opt out of whatever uh, uses of their information that they 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 might um, decide to um, engage in. Um, now, that might take a little bit of digging to see what your rights are, but you know it's always important to know what your rights are um, and where your information is floating around and and cyber in the cyber realm. Thank you. And and Jim, this is on sort of a related topic, but maybe you have some thoughts on it. Um, Bitcoins. Uh, today, I think somebody told me is a very day that there's another company branching off from Bitcoin. I mean, are we, do we trust this kind of way of transactions? I know we have contrasting viewpoints. Several of your authors um, couldn't be here today, of course, Virginia Roddy and um, Yvonne. But Jeff represents a different approach. He's younger. I mean, we're a radio, so you can't see. And um, you and I are a little um, more uh, mature <laughs> in our outlook. But I know a lot of my own um, young people that I'm associated with, they think nothing of spending online money. They have no use for cash. They don't carry cash. Um, and now that Bitcoin is splitting, is, is there, should we be afraid? I'm not sure I'm afraid of the technology, but I think that people need to be cautious about what they're doing. Uh, one of the great things about the U.S. currency is that it's authentic. Uh, the only people in the world that have been able to duplicate it are the North Koreans, and they actually are able to produce our uh, our currency in a form that is actually superior in quality to that which our printing uh, press has been able to do. So I think you need to be a little, be very careful about that because you could invest a lot of money in something that turns out not to be reliable. Um, the real issue with Bitcoin has more to do with national security than it does with commerce uh, because people who are shadowy uh, will often traffic in that. It makes it very difficult to uh, follow money laundering and other sorts of illegal or nefarious activities. Well, it's scary, and I'm sure you could regale us for hours with discussion of what it means when entire countries are trying to discourage the use of cash, but we're going to leave that to Jeff and his people <laughs> to <laughs> handle. Um, once once we retire, we don't, we're, we're trusting you, Jeff, to, <laughs> to take over. And along those lines, um, what, what, what can we do on a day-to-day -day basis? For instance, I, I saw a news story the other day. You have to be aware now of credit card scammers and these machines. You go to an ATM to get money and somebody's fastened a device on there. What, what are we supposed to do? Well, uh, it, it's very hard to um, deal with um, things like that in, in this day and age. Um, that's just uh, an, an everyday thing that uh, we have to put up with, um, unfortunately. It, it's very hard to detect some of these things. But can you look? Can you look at your ATM or your gas pump and see that there's something on there? Or is uh, a lot of times, and you can look up YouTube videos. It's very, very hard to discern to the untrained eye that there's something there. But I'll give you an example of something I personally do. Um, and again, this is 
this all just depends on what information you're willing to give to whatever company um, in order for the convenience to um, check on things. Um, I actually have my credit card um, hooked up to my iPhone through my credit card iPhone app. My American Express, I have the American Express app on my phone. Um, and so whenever there is a charge that's done on my American Express card, it gives me a notification on my phone. So immediately once I see that there's an erroneous charge on my phone, I can call up and cancel it. Um, and you have to know that uh, for those of you who aren't as tech savvy, you really have to review your credit card statements to make sure all those charges are the charges um, that that you actually made. Uh, credit card companies usually within 60 days of, um, of, of a charge being made will take the, the charge off. Um, they're, they're, uh, they have to uh, by law. So um, after that 60-day period, if you're not being vigilant about your credit card charges, um, you may be out of luck in trying to uh, make a dispute with a credit card company. Well, I know that's not what your um, book is especially about for consumers, but I appreciate your, you know, at least touching on it. And before we go, since we have a little time left, let's take advantage of Jim's expertise. I'd like to ask you, you know, that this, these um, attacks, these botnet attacks, where they can take down entire companies. They did it in October, and they closed down. I mean, <laughs> we're so reliant on um, computers. Um, what about government infrastructure? Are, are we, can they take down, like, our air traffic controllers? Could they take down our power grids? What? Well, one of our power grids has been taken down in yeah. an attack by foreign power. That goes into the question of what we do to protect what we would call the 16 critical sectors. Um, there, the Department of Homeland Security takes the lead. There's a structure in place, uh, and it's a very difficult problem to have to deal with. We don't really have enough time to talk about it, but I'm glad that you highlighted it. Well, I'm glad that there's people like you that have expertise in that area and um, help our government, um, and I'm glad to know that the government is out there looking at it, and I'm glad to know there's people like Jeff that are uh, responsible for what's coming. I mean, this is the world. We can't go backwards. Um, and I'm glad there's people like you that take, take this seriously. Um, you've been listening to Writers Forum, and we want to thank our guests today, um, Jim Farwell, James Farwell, and Jeffrey Elkins, um, author most recently of The Architecture of Cybersecurity. I'm Sherry Alexander for WRBH.